Well, uh, shalom, everybody who um, is uh, watching us online here today for this week's Torah portion study for that of um, Parshas uh, Vayagash. And um, for those who, who don't know, one of the things that we do is, is this is always separated out into, um, into segments. We start out with the Semitic language, then we go to um, Hasidic theology within the Torah portion, then we go to the Messiah within the Torah portion, then we do a section from the Zohar. Now, uh, those who are watching online, um, I have to apologize. I've been a little bit under the weather today. I'm not really uh, my usual uh, self and all that stuff. So um, if this is your first time watching, please be uh, be kind, <laughs> you know, and make sure to check out next week in case I totally just totally goof it up today. Um, but we got um, we got Christopher and we also got Kathleen with us here today. And it's always great to have the two of them. And so, uh, guys, how was how was your week? Yeah, long and full of work. <laughs> uh, a lot of studying, uh, you know, uh, definitely uh, learning some new things that I completely read over. And, uh, you know, it's the course of living books. Every time you read it, you get something new out of it. So it's, uh, it's always a blessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what about yourself there, Kathleen? I had a good week. It was busy because I took the week off before and spent it in sunny Florida, which was a nice, uh, nice. change from being up here in cold Maryland. But uh, got caught up with a lot of stuff, and uh, I'm glad to be back in my home routine. Absolutely. I gr actually grew up in South Florida in Naples, as a matter of fact. Ah, and, I was uh, up in Fort Myers visiting. Oh, were you? Oh, excellent. I, I actually, mm -hmm. when I was in elementary school, I went to Good Shepherd Elementary School over there in Fort Myers. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Haven't been back in, oh, man, since 1999. That was my last vacation back in 1999. Wow. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and get started within this here today. And uh, we'll start out by going and let me grab that slide there. I'm a little bit slow on the draw today. Uh, let's see here. And we'll be starting out at, in the book of, of Bereshit, or Bereshit for those of the uh, Sephardi persuasion, or Genesis chapter 45, verse 14. And within the Hebrew there, it says, Vayipol al Tavrie Benyamin Achiv Vayevech. U uh, Benjamin Bacha Al Tazvarav. Now, does anybody now do you guys notice anything odd about this in terms of its rendering there? Uh, it's got Benjamin twice and, and the neck mentioned twice. Okay, okay. Well, you, you well it you you, br you bring up something very interesting there because the very last word there, tazvarav, actually is the plural form for neck. Hmm. So that's very. So they interesting were crying because, on each other. Well, actually, in terms of this, if we go to our next slide here, 
Here's what it says in terms of this in the Genesis Rabbah. And is it going to go to that slide? Yes, it will. There we go. Uh, <laughs> it says, did Benjamin then have two necks? <laughs> in fact, said Rabbi Eliezer, Joseph foresaw, the, uh, foresaw through the Holy Spirit that two temples will be built in Benjamin's portion and both will be destroyed. Joseph wept over the two destructions, the destruction of the first temple and the destruction of the second temple is what that says in terms of the Midrash Rabbah. Now, um, anything you guys like to, to say about that? And do, and do you find it interesting that I, I haven't seen a single translation that actually translated as next? I, w I wonder why that is. I don't think I have either. I think uh, I read the Homish, and it actually speaks of the two temples and the, a parallel to it. But I don't think I ever recall seeing next. Yeah, I noticed that uh, the Gutnik Homish actually has Rashi uh, mentioning the very same thing that's in the in, in Genesis Rabbah. Yeah, yeah, that's I believe that's where it's at. I've read a few different translations in uh, commentary this week, and uh, yeah, I noticed that in there. This is the first time I ever really. Heard it, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. But definitely didn't notice the mention of next, just uh, singular, really, in both them, other than the one we just read. Absolutely. Uh, how about how about yourself, there, Kathleen? I think it's interesting that it it takes that and sees it as almost like a foreshadowing of the temples because towards this latter part of Bereshit, we see a lot of things which uh, foreshadow the future. Mm -hmm. yes, Very much so. Very much so. One of the things we've been doing in the past two weeks and that we'll do uh, again this week is going over the prophecies that are found within um, Midrashic and Talmudic materials, speaking of Mashiach ben Yosef, as well as Mashiach ben David and how are these, you know, and it's one of those things that when we read Jewish literature, we always tend to see a timeline as this linear thing where there's a starting point and an ending point. But in all honesty, within the, the way of the way of Hashem through the means of what is called Ein Sof, and the Ein Sof we'll get into next week because um, I, I kind of teased something for, next week and i know that that uh that chris had asked me about it in terms of um this concept of evil and all that stuff and you know understanding that god created everything that nothing's outside of the scope of of hashem you know one of the concepts with the ein sof however kind of to get back on track there is that everything in terms of prophetical literature which you know the entire bible is, is 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 prophetic but it requires us to look backwards as opposed to forwards because we see these things constantly repeating everything is kind of almost a circle like a clock in many ways you know you see how it is that the sun comes up in the morning and then it sets at night well tomorrow the sun's going to come up and then it's going to go and set again you know that night you know, it's it's and that's kind of the way that we need to see things whenever it is that we go through um, the Bible, especially in the realms of, you know, the Torah, the Haftarah, as well as the um, as well as the uh, the Brit Hadashah portion. We constantly see concepts constantly going in this circle. 
And so, you know, that's it, that, that that's something that's very important in terms of understanding the Bible. So could that hearken to what um, uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, that there is really nothing new under the sun because of that uh, circular concept? It always comes around. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I said something earlier in the week that kind of gave people pause, but, you know, and, and in relation to that, because, you know, one of the things, you know, people tend to see prophecy in many ways of, you know, the same thing as, you know, the, uh, the psychic connection in many ways, you know, uh, Miss Cleo and all that stuff. And it's not really that at all, you know, and when you go and you look at, you take, for instance, um, the word Nevi'im, which is, you know, a huge portion of your Bible, the prophets, you know, what is it that they're constantly looking at? They're constantly looking to the past and commentating, uh, commenting on the past, and, and they have a great understanding of the past. And so, you know, it's funny that when I see people, you know, that go and call themselves, you know, bishop, pastor, apostle, prophet, you know, and all these things, I'm sitting up there going, going, oh, they, you know, they, they, they have no clue what it is that they're saying in terms of, you know, calling themselves that because they kind of get into the Miss Cleo idea of, well, you, this is what I think is going to happen next year, and that's not actually what prophecy is. Well, even in and Isaiah forty-six ten, I believe he says that uh, I declare the the end from the beginning. So to understand mm -hmm. the end, you know, we must look to the beginning. Uh, exactly. You know, like you said, almost all, even Yeshua, went down to Egypt for some point in time. It seems like for some, from for some reason, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and and there's a reason for that because when we think of the concept, the the the, the Kabbalist concept of Ein Sof, you know, uh, which is basically the best way to translate that is the infinite. You know, that God is infinite. He sees <coughs> not everything going in a line. In fact, everything is happening at once. Everything like 20 years from now, it's happening right now at this moment. You know, and that's so much for our minds to to not really be able to comprehend. And so when you mention that passage in Ecclesiastes, Solomon really understood that concept. You know, I would say that he's probably one of the earliest Kabbalists in many ways, because that's essentially what it is he's speaking of there. Mm -hmm. yep. Anything else before we go to the Hasidic segment? Well, no, it's all for me <laughs> okay now these slides that i have for this one are actually from a teaching i did a couple of years ago and um there's a premise that is within that of um that uh, well a talking point if you will that many bring up that may not necessarily be so accurate and we can see the beginning of this in this torah portion and we're going to be going to bedieshis or genesis chapter 46 um, verses 31 through 34. It said, Yosef said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. I'll also tell them, the men are shepherds, and they have always been owners of livestock, so they brought their flocks and their cattle and their possessions. So if Pharaoh summons you and asks you, what is your occupation's, and I have this part underlined here. Say your servants have been owners of livestock from 
our youth until now, both we and our ancestors. You should do this in order to live in the land of Goshen, because all shepherds are adhorrent to the Egyptians since the Egyptians, that is, they worship sheep. Hmm. Have you guys ever seen that verse before? Or is that? Uh, I've definitely seen Not it. Translated. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were funny. They worship, you know, bulls and those things. I didn't realize they worship sheep. No. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a, there's this concept that comes up oftentimes within Christianity and the Hebrew roots movement that Yeshua is our Passover lamb. There's several issues with this. There's many times where it says in the New Testament that he is the lamb or the lamb of God, but nowhere does it say that he is the Passover lamb. And so we're going to look at some of these things that in terms of the uh, the scripture, in terms of this concept of to why it is that Yosef told, you know, uh, his, his, his family to basically, this is what you say to Pharaoh in terms of this. And there's many things that people just kind of tend to skip over in terms of the scripture on this portion and really don't think about. Here's, here's one such verse in the book of Shemot or Exodus chapter 8, verse 21 through 22. Pharaoh summoned Moshe Rabbeinu and to Aharon and said, to, and said, go slaughter to your God but do it in this land. Moshe said, I would not be, or it would not be appropriate to do that, for we will be sacrificing the deity of the Egyptians to our God. As if we could sacrifice the deity of the Egyptians before their eyes, and they wouldn't stone us. Let us go on a three-day journey into the desert and sacrifice to God our God, as he is going to tell us. Hmm. It's uh, kind of shocking, you know. Yeah, that's very interesting. I've never, yeah, I've never seen that's that. <laughs> completely new to me. It uh, puts a different why, spin on it. Yeah, now yeah. I mean, it completely. Now I get why he didn't want them to sacrifice in the land, so to speak. I mean, it, you know, or it basically to give them grounds to to get rid of them sooner than he tried uh absolutely they would have considered that you know a, a form of disrespect so to speak mm -hmm. absolutely and that's why when this happened if you guys can see the slide this happened a couple of years ago i ended up making the comment saying this had set the individuals who are believers in yeshua and keepers of the Torah, this set us back 2,000 years. You guys remember when this all went down? Uh, when how, What year was it? Uh, I think like 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. I don't think I have... I can't see it real well, but... Yeah, it's kind of small. I'm not... Okay. Well, let me put it to you this way. What we have in the picture over there is we have a lamb that's gone and dressed up with a crown of thorns on his head. And this particular teacher is very popular within the Hebrew roots movement said, come and eat your God. Oh, that's, that's very <laughs> poor taste. Yeah. Absolutely. Very. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
And this just adds fuel to the anti-missionaries because we have so many people, you know, um, especially in the Hebrew Roots movement who don't know any of this history. They don't know their scripture very well. And, you know, if you ever go into Egypt, for instance, here's some of the things that you're going to see over there. These are, uh, you know, things that you'll find, statues and, and many different things for all the sheep gods that were worshipped in Israel during the time of Paro, during the time of Yosef. Yeah, I'll never, the, I mean, I knew of the bulls and the, the crazy, whatever the dogs are or whatever, but I never realized that they worship sheep like that. It's almost like it's hidden. So, uh, you know, I guess people could kind of put forth the Passover lamb teaching, so to speak, which I'm, I'm interested in. I actually heard you talk about it when I first started listening to you and I, I grasped what you were saying. Uh, of course, Amanda was like, what do you mean? It's not the Passover lamb. <laughs> I'm thinking he's, he's meaning he's not like the Passover lamb. Of course, he's uh -huh. the lamb of God, but he's not the Passover lamb. That exactly. And you know what I mean? Exactly. And we'll and, and, and we'll get into this as 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 well. We got a couple of passages passages from the uh, uh, from actually one of Chris's favorite documents, the uh, Medrash Rabbah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, well, you know, he's he's got some uh, Shemot. Uh, uh, he I think he just got it today. Right. Yeah. Just came in the mail. I've been reading, reading away. At it. Pretty interesting. Yeah, excellent. Stuff. Well, here's the Medrash Rabbah in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. It says, When the Holy One, blessed be he, told Moses to slay the Passover lamb, Moses answered, Lord of the universe, how could I possibly do this thing? Do you not know that the land is an Egyptian god? As it says, we sacrifice the, the uh, um, abomination of the Egyptians before the rise. They will stone us, as it says in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. God replied, As you live, Israel will not depart from here, before they slaughter the Egyptian gods before their very eyes, that I may teach them that their gods are really nothing at all. This is what he, God, actually did for, uh, for on that night he slew the Egyptian firstborn, and on that night the, the Israelites slaughtered the Passover lamb and ate it. When the Egyptians beheld their firstborn slain and their gods slaughtered, they could do nothing, as it says, while the Egyptians were burying them that the Lord had smitten among them, even all their firstborn upon their gods, also the Lord executed judgment. And we got another passage in the Medrash Rabbah as well for Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. And uh, let's see, did it change? Yeah. Uh, and it says within there, uh, God then said to Moses, as long as Israel worship Egyptian gods, they will not be redeemed. Go and tell them to abandon their evil ways and to reject idolatry. This is what is meant by draw out and take you lambs. That is to say, draw away your hands from idolatry and take for yourself lambs, thereby slaying the gods of Egypt and preparing the Passover. Only through this will the Lord pass over you. This is the meaning of in sitting still and rest shall you be saved. Now, now, do we understand the reason why it is that um, in Parshish Bo, which is going to be in a couple of weeks, why it is that they ended up slaughtering the Passover lamb? I think I got a good idea now. Uh, of course, 
you know, the redemption through the blood, but I believe also it was a direct assault on their so-called God or gods. Uh, I think Absolutely. What they were saying was, your God is not a God. We pretty much killed him. <laughs> yeah. You know, they actually, you know, from what I understand anyways, in my studies, uh, you know, basically every judgment was against a, an Egyptian God, more or less. And then, of course, when he slayed the firstborn, the Pharaoh was considered a, a God king. And when he killed his firstborn son, he basically killed God. So, you know, it caused probably the mixed multitude, the ones that did leave with, with Israel, to say, hey, this is the one true God. Uh, but and it continues in that cycle of, you know, each plague attacking and, and showing that these Egyptian gods weren't gods at all. And this last one actually, you know, each and every Israelite family got involved in the slaying of the lamb, which kind of probably was that last cutoff from the Egyptian gods. They were willing to say, hey, even this one isn't a god, so let's we can slaughter the lamb. Absolutely. Oops, I ended up hitting the wrong button there. My apologies. But yeah, you guys you got you guys are right. And and here's, you know, one of the things I say to people when they ask me about this, to put it very sim simplicity, I say, think about, you know, when somebody's in college and they want to join a fraternity. They need to go and show their allegiance to that fraternity. A lot of colleges have gotten in trouble for cer certain things called hazing. You know, hazing is definitely a bad thing, but what is the reason for it? It's to show your allegiance to that fraternity. So in many ways, what happens is when you have people that you are worried about that are going to be, you know, saying, hey, you know what, Pharaoh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and get on the inside. I'm going to kind of act like a spy and get on the inside with these people. And what I'm going to do is do what it is that they do and all of that stuff. And then I'm going to report back to you. Well, the thing about it, though, is that as soon as you go and you are told to go and kill the god that is worshipped in Egypt, the greatest spy of all of them is going to be sitting there going, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So hold on to his false theology, so to speak. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, it's kind of, it was kind of also a way to kind of weed out these people who were not going to go and travel for 40 years to the land of Israel and who were definitely going to consecrate themselves to that of Hashem. And this is when it is that we start to, uh, in those verses, we tend to see that the children of Israel are referred to as um as as not at that point Yehudi yet, but they are referred to as Ivri. And 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 Ivri is a person who has not fulfilled mitzvahs yet, uh, which ought, which translates to Hebrew, but they have not fulfilled mitzvahs yet, but they have broken a spiritual barrier. And them killing this the Egyptian god is them breaking that spiritual barrier that they were bound to that separated them from God. Wow, yeah, very awesome. <laughs> Never thought of it that way, but uh, I have definitely thought of. Of course, people come against me. Uh, you know, I did some time in prison, and uh, 
this is where I learned who God was and uh, got saved through that right. experience. And uh, I used to, I've always learned the, the Hebrew side of it, so to speak, even though I went through the Hebrew roots and never went through the Christianity part. Uh, not that I hold anything against them, but uh, I was always trying to teach right. the truth, you know. And, uh, you know, I would use, you know, Israel or Hebrew, Israel, and, and, and Jew. And I'm like, why would you not want to be called that? I mean, First of all, you know, every Hebrew means you crossed over. You crossed over from yeah. from paganism, and then you became Israel, you know. And then on top of that, when you become a Jew, you're consecrated to God. I was like, why would you not want to prophetically speak that over your life? And right. why would you be offended over it? I, I just couldn't understand it. Well, technically, well, technically it kind of goes, goes in this, in this, in this order. order. Um, um, I'm here a little bit. I hear myself, myself there. there. <laughs> Let's see. Check, check one, two. Check, check. Okay. Now I'm still hearing myself. What's going on there? Okay, there we go. I don't hear myself now. All right. Um, it kind of goes in this order. It goes Ivri, then Gertoshav or Bnei Noach, and that's and 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 at that point they have kind of dipped their foot in the toe when they are Bnei Noach or or or, or Gertoshav. They haven't really become Israel yet uh, because of the fact that they are basically just kind of testing the water at that point. Then there's there's Ger Sadiqim. And a, and a Ger Sedek basically has indeed become a part of Israel at that time because they have grafted themselves to that of the Jewish Jewish people. Then a person can become Yehudi if they choose to, or they can become, after that, they can become a uh, Bali HaMishnah, a master of the Mishnah, a Bali HaGemara, a master of the Gemara, a Bali HaKabalah, a master of the Kabbalah, and so on and so forth down the line. Um, so, you know, this is a journey that never ends. But, uh, you know, here's one of the things that people don't realize in terms of this, when people say Yeshua is the Passover lamb, is we go to Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 8, and it says, They came the day, then came the day of matzah, on which the Passover lamb had to be killed. It tells us right there. Yeshua sent Kepha and Yochanan. He's instructing them, go and prepare our Seder so we can eat. Well, guys, you know, it says that that night was when the Passover lamb was to be slain. And he tells them to go and do, do the Seder. When is the, uh, when is the Passover lamb eaten? Uh, the night, the uh, 14th, <laughs> right before uh, uh, Unleavened Bread. Okay. So on the night of the Seder, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So basically, the Seder is prepared and it's had within that of Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. Afterwards, Yeshua goes to the Mount of Olives, as we see in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, which would have been um, after sundown, starting on the 15th of Nisan. The Pesach lamb is eaten at the Seder on the evening of the 14th. And Yeshua isn't killed until 3 p.m. on the 15th, roughly 20 hours after the lamb is killed and eaten. Oh, yeah. That's right there <laughs> in mm -hmm. plain sight. Yeah. So, you know, the thing about it, though, is that, you know, with this, people have to understand, you know, when these things are done. 
But they also have to realize at the same time that by going and calling Yeshua of the Passover lamb, which we see they doesn't fit the criteria for, you know, considering of when the Passover lamb had to be killed, there, there was something that God was making known by him not dying on the 14th of Nisan, you know, that basically he's not a pagan God. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's making it known that Yeshua is not a pagan God. But we also have to get into the verses to where people get confused on this concept. Mm-hmm. So if we go to Yohanan or the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, from the Dalage, it says, The next day, Yohanan or John saw Yeshua come into him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who bears the sins of the world. Okay. Now, I guess the Passover lamb would probably be the most famous of all lambs in the Bible, right? Of course. True. So the so the mind automatically goes to the Passover lamb. But we have to ask ourselves here as well, what was John really saying? What if I were to tell you that he was drawing a parallel to that of Yitzhak? Hmm. In Bereshit... Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, it says, Avraham said God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering, my son, and they both went together. Now we have this in Berachot 62b, said Rob, he beheld Father Yalchov and Samuel said, it is the ashes of Isaac, he beheld, as it says in Genesis 22, verse 8, God will for himself behold the lamb of the burnt offering, my son. Then we have Perke de Rebbe, Eliezer 31. When the sword touched Isaac's throat, his soul flew clean out of him. And when he let his voice be heard from between the cherubim, lay not thy hand upon the lad, the lad's soul was returned to his body. Then his father unbound him, and, and Isaac rose, knowing that in this way the dead would come back to life in the future, whereupon he began to recite, Blessed are you, Lord our God, who resurrects the dead. Finally, in the verses that we read in Bedeshit 22.8, it says the, verse, or the words av, meaning father, and the word ben, for son, are found almost a dozen times together in Bereshis or Genesis chapter 22, which relates to I and my father, which we could, we put them together. We got Yahid, meaning an absolute one. The word Yahid is found as well in Bereshit 22.6 in the root of the word Yakida, or, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Yakdav, meaning together. Oh. So, What's you guys' take on that? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I kind of always saw the parallel with, uh, you know, the, of course, uh, the lamb uh, or, you know, the binding of Isaac and, and Hashem uh, providing the sacrifice. Of course, back then I thought, of course, that Yeshua was the sacrifice. Uh, but now I see that he, it was completely different. Uh, just something I want to do a little bit more studying in, but yeah, I definitely see the the parallels there. Very interesting. 
And I think what's interesting, too, like we were talking at the beginning, the the cyclical nature of things, you see it almost repeating there again with what you see in the the symbolism of Yitzhak and people say, oh, that's prophecy. But it's it's really these things happening, happening cyclically and one foreshadows the other you look back to. And that's what makes scripture just so fascinating to study. Absolutely. Great point. Great point. Now, uh, Chris, I think your wife has a question there, and I'm having a hard time reading it there. Can you see it from where you're at? Some groups believe he was born in the spring because he's the Passover lamb, and all lambs are born in the spring. That's one that she has heard recently. Uh, She's technically, she's, I brought her into the, Hebraic mindset, so to speak. We actually, little side story, but we grew up together and didn't see each other for almost 20-something years. And when I got out of prison, I ran into her in the mall. And uh, we started talking, and she was a Christian in a megachurch. And I was like, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect, you know, some of the things you believe, but it's some of these things aren't what they seem. And, you know, of course, her first thing was, well, where's the love and all that? And <laughs> I was like, I don't think you understand some of it. So through, you know, talking and then I showed her, uh, I basically gave her a challenge. I said that uh, I want you to do some homework because uh, I had a vision that I was going to get married to a dark haired woman. I thought she was going to be of the Jewish faith or Jew, maybe. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to give you a little homework. Uh, and I want you to tell me what you find out. And I said, I want you to go to uh, Genesis one fourteen and, and tell me what the moon and the stars and the seasons are really for. And she right off the bat went to, uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, some famous science, Isaac Newton, I believe. And then drew the parallel to uh, Leviticus. And uh, she was blown away by it. And ever since then, we kind of uh, just basically have, studied and uh you know the the rest is history (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome and and you've probably realized in that time that that women know a whole lot more than us men do oh she did yeah she blows me away with some of her thoughts sometimes and i have to go yeah it's quite possible i can't say for sure but yeah you make a good argument for it and uh (laughs) <laughs> of course, that's always her bragging is that, uh, you know, she's on a higher men drugger than me. Jokingly. That's right. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, that's something that the that the great Kabbalists of all time have all said. In fact, uh, uh, the Baal Shem Tov even said that uh, that if his first wife would have lived, she she passed away. He said that if she would have lived, that he would have been able to um, ascend into the heavens in the middle of the market, you know, that that is how, how much of a higher plane she put him on. Now, just to think about that, we could think of Elijah. Well, Elijah wasn't in the middle of a marketplace. (laughs) So he would have been at a higher Mandrega than that of Elijah. If he was able to do that in the middle of the marketplace, that's, that's how much amazing respect and, and, and uh, he had for his wife and how much, he realized she brought to the table. Yeah, it also through her makes me realize just how important uh, not only us being a cab with uh, you know our our partners, so to speak, and, and 
Hashem made for us, but, uh, you know, just life in general. I mean, it's just truly a blessing to have someone to share it with that is not only on the same level, but sometimes on a higher level that can say, you know what, the thought processes on this maybe aren't quite right. Maybe you need to check yourself, you know what I mean? Just, of course, I'm a man. I still have pride sometimes, and uh, it's <laughs> been a hard thing for me to get rid of sometimes. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Well, we got another verse here that is probably the most problematic of all of those. First Corinthians chapter five, verse seven. Is it going to, is the slide going to go up there? There we go. All right. It says right there in that verse, it says, purge out from you the old leaven that you may be a new mass as you are unleavened. For our Passover is the Mashiach who was slain for us. Now, that seems to kind of throw into the ground everything that we just said, didn't it? Yeah, it, it would look that way anyway. <laughs> now, here, here's another issue that we have is that I was searching all the different Bibles that are out there. Because some Bibles actually say, for our Passover lamb, <coughs> in some translations it says that, So one of the things that I made sure to diligently do is to go and look through the Aramaic as well as to look at the Dalage. The reason why I look through the Dalage, as I say often, is because of the fact that I don't read Greek, and the Dalage is a direct translation of the Greek to the Hebrew. And so I was looking all over for the word Sierra. I was looking all over for the the word for lamb, And, and it's not within the Aramaic. It's not within the Greek. The first time that we end up seeing the word lamb in that verse in the Bible is 1973 when the uh, NIV was put out. Now, I have nothing against the NIV, okay? I have nothing against all these modern trans, trans translations, nothing at all. But sometimes what happens is when you have what I like to call a mega paraphrase, um, every Bible's paraphrased to some extent because of different grammar. But when you have a mega paraphrase like the NIV, they think that they're helping the reader by adding in a word that goes along with the prominent theology as putting in the word lamb, which is not within any of the the texts. But after 1973, you start to see other Bibles go and also insert that in there. We find the Good News Bible, the Message, the NLT, and some of the others. Now, there's nothing that was necessarily, you know, some people try and get all conspiratorial. There's nothing conspiratorial about, you know, this mess up. They were they were trying to, you know, help people to understand the concept. And sadly, those who were doing that didn't understand the concept themselves. And so this was part of the problem. Um, but when we read more than verse 7 in there, we really start to see the complete context of what it is that Paul is actually saying here. He says, your bragging is not praiseworthy. Don't you know the little leaven leavens the whole mass? Purge out from you the old leaven that you'll be a new mass as you are as you are leavened. For our Passover is the Mashiach who was slain for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of wickedness or bitterness, but with the leaven of purity and sanctity. So does that kind of change the context there when we look at the other two verses that surround verse 7? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it does. 
it's more focusing on the leaven of the whole of the Passover uh, time frame because we get rid of the leaven during Passover. Um, it just was, I think, um, incidental that that is the time that Yeshua was ultimately slain. Agreed. And plus it says get rid of the wickedness or the leaven of wickedness, kind of directing us away from, you know, that Yeshua was the Passover, but to get rid of the old uh, ways, so to speak, or your old, your leaven, it's the leaven in the lump, the, the bad in you, so to speak. Exactly, you know, and so that premise of Mashiach being the Pes the the Pesach being the Passover, is a lot different than being the Passover Lamb because when we look at the the story of Pesach, and this concept of it, the thing that we see is that first of all, there's a change in the people. There's a first step that is taken, you know, and one of the things in terms of Judaism, of you know, a person going and doing mitzvahs lishma Hashem is basically something that happens inside of them, first of all, to where it is that they are changed internally so that they can do mitzvahs lishma Hashem for the sake of God as opposed to for the sake of self. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, you know, that does make sense. It's like the Passover, the, the blood of messiah the the actual lamb of god you know redeems us and brings us into uh a non-wicked leaven one you know we're without the leaven of wickedness brings on a whole new meaning when you uh when you understand what's trying to be taught you know kind of absolutely like some of paul's verses which are have were uh, taught to Gentile people that were misunderstood and have been requoted and, and uh, mixed up through the ages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got to sit in. Uh, speaking of Paul, I got to sit in on something really cool the other day that was uh, they had a conference call on Zoom for uh, First Fruits of Zion. I believe it was Wednesday. And yeah, I saw uh, they had that. a guy teaching. Oh were, you, oh, were you there? Yes. That was that was a really good presentation, mm -hmm. wasn't it? I enjoyed it a lot. And I think uh, I think Ryan said that he's planning on I, – I, I asked him in the chat. I said, I said is this going to be a teaching of the month because it was so good? And he's like, mm -hmm. we're going to send it out to you guys. <laughs> you know, So he's probably going to send it out as a video to everybody. So if so, that would be like great. It like an interesting book uh, as far as – the premise of the program was it was um, – talking about the book of Romans and looking mm -hmm. at it more, not from a per se Christian perspective where we've um, uh, kind of put a lot of our theology into it, almost as you were saying what the NIV did with this particular verse, uh, thinking they're putting the lamb in to assist. So he takes a look and um, looks at the book of Romans more in the context that the Jewish people of that time frame would look at it. But you know what oh, was exactly. interesting? I grew up in a Christian tradition, but I'm finding out just how unique it was because a lot of that um, supersessionism, Israel replacing the church and all, I grew up with none of that 
in uh, the tradition that I grew up, we actually look very favorably on the Jewish people as God's oh, chosen wonderful. and everything. So it's interesting because people say to me, oh, Christian teaching is, you know, the church has replaced Israel. And I didn't have any of that. I'm like, that's not the, quote, Christianity <laughs> I grew up in. Yeah, it doesn't even you know, and I honestly couldn't say if I did or not because you know I I I think I was just oblivious to the idea. I I don't know. Um, I, but again, the thing I I do you know concern myself with every now and then is sometimes, as we know that there are things that are over sensationalized, saying mm-hmm. you know all Christians believe this. Well, no, they don't. You know, <laughs> and all that stuff. You know, um, it'd be like you know, saying take, all Jewish people believe X and. And as we know, there's many different streams within Judaism, even. Oh, of course. Of course. You got, uh, I believe, six major sects within Judaism, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, you know. Well, are we ready to go on to Messiah within the Torah? Or is there anything you guys want to revisit in terms of the Lamb? Or? Uh, no, I'm, I'm ready to go with, see the Messiah. All righty. Well, now we're going to see where the Messiah is actually in the Torah portion. <laughs> All right, we'll start out with uh, Genesis 44:18. It says, Yehuda approached uh, Yosef and said, Please, my master, your servant now wants to say something that I hope my master will listen to. I'm going to be firm, so please don't get angry with your servant, for you are as important in my eyes as, far as Paro himself. And so we then go to the Medrash Tachuma, Vayagash 4. It says, Isaiah states, in Isaiah eleven thirteen, when the jealousy of Ephraim will depart, of whom did Isaiah say this? He could only have been referring to Judah and Joseph. While Judah and Joseph were arguing with each other, the ministering angels said to each other, come, let us descend and see the ox and the lion fighting each other. This is, it is natural for an ox to fear a lion, but in this case, the ox and the lion fight one another continuously until the jealousy between them departs at the coming of Messiah. Anything you guys want to say in terms of that one? Uh, no, I kind of got, uh, you know, that in 4418, that, uh, you know, Judah. Yeshua, you know, he came close and, and he was kind of Joseph was Elohim in a way in this sense that Judah came close and intercessed to, to Elohim, Joseph. And, you know, Joseph kind of, uh, you know, he put, uh, put, um, you know, he, he didn't grieve us. He kind of, he, you know, realize what was on a bigger picture, what was going on. He didn't hold it against him, you know, his brothers. And he saw that, you know, as the topic we were talking about earlier, you know, does God create evil, so to speak, uh, that, you know, some people would see that Joseph going down into Egypt and being enslaved and prison and all that was evil. But technically Joseph was able to look to the greater good of it and see that, you know, he was to bring his family back and save them from from uh you know the famine and and all that it kind of you know goes in line with with revelations too depending on how you believe in it 
And Yehuda right. here was willing to give himself as a substitute for Benjamin. Exactly. And, yep. you know, we see that whole theme with Mashiach being that intercessor and saying, hey, um, to the, you know, at that point, Yosef was a threat to he and his brothers, you know, and he's saying, hey, don't take him, take me in exchange. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure where Joseph was at. <laughs> you know, Joseph could have been bitter and uh, definitely, mm -hmm. you know, been very harsh with him as, as you know, as Sal wanted to do with Jacob, you know, but uh, Joseph had, you know, Hesed and uh, seen the greater picture and seen that uh, Hashem put him there for a reason, you know, to say, keep his family safe and to keep Israel as a whole together and flourishing. Uh -huh. He foresaw, Absolutely. as you're talking about in cynical terms, that uh, Hashem saw that this was coming and he put Joseph in his place to bring about, uh, you know, restoration and, uh, you know, to keep his people alive through the, the famine where a lot of the world uh, perished through, you know, mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, wandering around and, uh, you know, Joseph saw the bigger picture. Of course, of course. And there's also another side saying, you guys are right, but there's also something else that goes along with this as well. And this is according to uh, Chentov, it says the deeds of the fathers are uh, are portents for the sons. Likewise, the deeds of Judah and Joseph anticipated the de the deeds of King Jeroboam of Judah and King uh, 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 oh, I'm sorry uh, Rehoboam from Judah and King Jeroboam from Joseph. But the secret meaning of the passage is that there will be peace and concord between Mashiach, son of Joseph. And Mashiach ben David. So you know, there's there, there there's so many different layers there. It's pretty neat. Oh yeah, <laughs> so let's lost you there. Yeah, I've lost the volume. Also, oh, I can hear you. <laughs> I can't hear Christopher. No, I can't either. <laughs> I would be totally stuck trying to figure out the technology. Oh, yeah. I uh, can barely even work my smartphone. I have to have my wife set up all this. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be doing it. I have nieces and nephews that can do it for me. <laughs> yeah, so uh oh, he's out of the... <laughs> Must be getting something there he... put together. Still can't hear you. Oh. <laughs> Uh. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Yeah, it's almost like his mic came unplugged or something, maybe. Yeah, I don't have a clue where it even started. <laughs> mm hmm. It's like her daughter is ridiculous and she's 12. Now they understand all the technology. Oh, yeah. She's like a whiz with it. And, mm -hmm. I mean, she could probably make a good living out of it. She just likes 
you know, messing around with it. <laughs> it's like a, I am amazed at some of the things you can do with them. What twelve she has time to figure it out. Yeah. Check a one, check a two, check a three. Ah now you're back. That's it. Ah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Not here for your entertainment. <laughs> All right, let's see. Let's see if I can get back on track here. We go to Genesis 45.5. It says, but now don't be upset or angry with yourself that you sold me to the place. For now, we see that God sent me ahead of you to save your life. Now, according to Chazel here, it says, the Holy One, blessed be he, sends the remedy before he inflicts the wound. In this case, he sent Joseph to Egypt before the enslavement of Israel. After the enslavement in Egypt, he brought them out with a mighty hand. He will likewise raise them up to the true kingdom and the true King David of the tribe of Judah. For the Messiah, son of Joseph, does not come for himself. He only comes to bring Messiah, son of David. For he will give his soul, and he, and he knows that death and his blood will atone for the nation of God. Wow. Anything come to mind there? You know what it sort of reminds me of, although it's a little bit of a different context, is uh, in the Brit Chodeshah, they always talk about temptation or things coming upon a person. And it says that Hashem won't allow temptation unless he prepares a way for you to get through that temptation. And here there was this ultimate situation of a famine coming. And just as you read that commentary, it's like he doesn't do anything um, prior to having the remedy already uh, set forth. As mm -hmm. long as we follow that, we will we'll go to that remedy. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is great insight there. As a matter of fact, this is why it said – you know, uh, you know, Hasidus says this too is for the good, you know, yes. but you know, what's interesting. I always wondered Yosef, as he was going through the actual um, uh, incidents with uh, Potiphar's wife, with being in prison, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes as you're going through it, you don't see that. So I think that's where the concept of evil comes because we think what is happening to us is for the bad as someone who is um in my 50s now i have the ability to look back and see things that i have gone through and and difficulties in life and say oh my gosh hashem was just there through it all and that prepared me for what the next thing was that prepared me for the next and it's really, I think, one of the interesting things as you get older is you start to see that perspective. And we know Yosef was probably in his 20s when he went through this. I've often wondered what his perspective was as he was going through. And then he becomes, you know, second in command. And at 30-some, he can look back and say, oh, my gosh. Well, I can kinda, Absolutely. He, oh, I go ahead. I really relate to Joseph because I did – uh, seven years in prison. I've only been out for about four years now. And uh, I went into my early 20s and come out almost in my 40s. And uh, 
I definitely was of that mindset. Well, why me, God? You know what? You know, I didn't even really believe technically. I believe there was a God, but no, I didn't. Not I had no idea what what his plan was for in that whole thing. You know, I was just like, man, I'm getting punished. Everybody else is getting this little bit of time, and here I am. I'm getting life almost seemed like at the time, but little did I know. You know, he was going to bring me into the greatest life that I could ever, I couldn't even possibly imagine, you know, the life that I have now. And it's just unbelievable. And just the riches of, of knowing Yeshua and Hashem and, and truly knowing his attributes and, and the things he does and that everything has a reason. Uh, life no more seems like, you know, a mystery to me. It's like a, it's an adventure. It's like, well, where, where do I go next? You know what? I'm looking for the next sign to to move forward and, and see what it is that he has in store for me. So I definitely can relate to Joseph. Uh, I think he probably had times of doubt, but uh, I think ultimately, you know, Hashem was revealing himself on a daily basis. And, you know, over time, he started to see the bigger picture and, and realized that, uh, you know, as the Brit Hashem says, he had greater plan or not. And, Jeremiah, maybe they had greater plans for you. You know, uh, he knew you from the womb, and uh, you know everything that has ever happened to me. Basically, has led up to this moment where I'm at now. You know, and it's a, uh, it's an amazing life, <laughs> one I could have never even, never imagined a million years. Like, just it blows my mind to think that, uh, you know, I, I sat in a cell at first, complaining and whining and crying and. And but yet the greatest gift was just right around the corner, mm-hmm. and uh, that little bit of suffering was well worth it. You know, it saved my life, and I, I should have been dead before that, anyways. But um, you know, like you said, he he had a greater plan, and uh, I still don't know exactly what my full plan is yet. But uh, I'm definitely studying, trying to find it, and uh, you know, just. I just love the scriptures and, and the parallels in it. And, you know, like everything we're talking about tonight, it's just, it's just so amazing. You know, no man could ever possibly ever come up with any of this. It's just, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just reinforces, you know, the faith so much. Uh, especially once you start learning the Hebrew a little bit, I mean, I'm in no way an expert or have a clue as to how to speak it, you know, but, just the the words and the parallels and like the dual meaning sometimes is just like you know that's it's proof positive you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's so amazing definitely good stuff good stuff and thanks for sharing that there big guy no problem it's uh i've never had a problem with it everybody kind of looks at me like i'm crazy when i you know tell them but i'm not embarrassed of it because you know, it, it's it defined me and made me who I am. You know what I mean? And uh, all I can do Absolutely. is give glory to the person, to Hashem and to Yeshua, you know, who made it possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's go to Genesis 45, 26. It says, they told him what had happened, saying, Yosef is still alive. And they told him that Yosef ruled over the entire land of Egypt, but his heart denied it because he because he did not believe them and now this over here now this is an amazing statement here by um by by the rambam 
now the Rambam, and is that slide going to pop up there? Because people got to see this slide. This one is some awesome commentary from the Rambam. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, let me try. Let me try taking it out of the frame and putting it back up here. Uh, and will it go this time? Maybe, possibly. Oh, there we go. And if there should arise from the house of David a king who studies the Torah and occupies himself with the commandments as his father David had, according to the written and the oral Torah, and if he forces all of Israel to follow the Torah and observe its rules, and if he fights the wars of the Lord, then he must be presumed to be the Messiah. If he succeeds in his acts and rebuilds the temple in, in its place and gathers the exiled from Israel, then he certainly is the Messiah. Now, I'm going to leave this slide up, and we're going to see, first of all, does Yeshua fulfill this requirement? Okay, it says, first of all, it says, occupies himself with the commandments as his father David had according to the written and the oral Torah. What do you guys say there? Huh? I think Yeshua did, did that. Yeah, Absolutely, you know. I was actually kind of, I wasn't really taught, but through the Hebrew roots, of course, I was taught that, you know, the oral Torah is what he came teaching against and blah, 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 blah. And through watching and studying under you, technically, not necessarily under you, under you, but uh, through your thoughts and and uh, teachings, I came to realize in the Talmud that, you know, he was teaching Hasidic Judaism before it was ever even a thing. And uh, that oh, was kind absolutely. of a revelation for me, which, you know, it, uh, I pursued it out. And uh, yeah, he definitely fulfilled that and was, was teaching that. Absolutely. Now, what about this other part here that says that, um, that he uh, fights the wars of the Lord? Well, I think, I think that you're looking at um, when he came as Moshiach ben Yosef, of course, he followed um, uh, both the written and oral Torah, but then he comes as Moshiach ben David, and not only will he follow written and oral Torah, but, you know, I do believe that there's going to be, you know, a rebuilding of the temple in the, the kingdom to come. And ultimately, he will meet all of those criteria that the Rambam sets out. Now, now, what about this? In terms of the fighting of the wars, um, in, 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 in terms of that, Mashiach even says that we fight not against flesh and blood, mm -hmm. but from spirits and principalities. And when we look at, you know, um, I, I took notes on this a while back, and I totally, I, I totally forgot what I had in, had in the notes, but, but I can tell you what my conclusion was. When we look at Gog v. Magog, this mm -hmm. is actually not a physical war, I don't believe, but rather a war that we each fight within us. 
is what this is, is, is speaking about the battle between the Yetzer Hatov and Yetzer Harad that we have within wow. us. And so if we go and we look at it, because in all honesty, I think that's what the Rambam is speaking of here when he talks about those wars. I think that's what he's speaking of. Now, in terms of the fun, oh, go ahead. Uh -huh. Can it also be the the level of the the spiritual wars within us between the Yetzahara and doing, you know, the will of Hashem? But could there also be a, a physical dimension too? Because so many times we see many aspects within one context because you know when mashiach comes if there isn't a complete change of heart there are probably still going to be those who are going to want to fight with him you know on some physical level i always wondered if there was like a dual dual idea coming here <laughs> i don't uh, know well and in all honesty, I would say that it's not really a dual idea. I would say it's actually maybe a dual idea times 35. <laughs> oh, probably so, because there's probably a lot more things that we're not even thinking of that could be um, encompassed in all this. Oh. Oh, definitely so. Definitely so. Yeah, I agree that the, he fulfilled that with the battles because – some of the battles that I've been through is mm -hmm. faith are just unreal. You know, some of my past uh, associates, should I say, which I'm embarrassed to even call them that, but uh, when I actually first time went to meet my wife uh, after we met, you know, in the mall, my guy that I've got my drugs from called me and was like, dude, come down, heard you're out. I'll give you anything you want. I'll get you back on my feet. And that was, of course, you know, an, a, a, a personal battle of the Yetzahara trying to uh -huh. knock me off off what Hashem had for me and, and was a not necessarily a test, but definitely a trial. And, uh, you know, through the, the power and the spirit of Mashiach, uh, you know, I overcome that part of my Yetzahara. You know, and I've been, been sober for over seven years now and I don't even so much yep. as crave it, man, you know, not even a cigarette. And uh, definitely he fulfilled those wars, I believe. Of course, I still have many more wars to go, but. <laughs> Every day well, we all do. All of it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, in terms of the thing of the temple, however, Go to uh, the the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 58, and this is from the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And uh, let me go ahead and fix that. There we go. It says, we heard him saying, I will bring Harban to this Baisak Mikdash made with human hands, and after Shalosha Yamim, another not made with hands, I will build. So that kind of plays into that entire, that final prophecy about that of the Rambam. Yeah, um, are we ready to go on to the final portion of the Zohar? Yeah, I'm always interested yep. in the Zohar. I'm fascinated with it. There's a yeah, lot there. I'll just, I'm ready to learn more about it. 
<laughs> well, this is something that is a concept that those who don't know Semitic language are not very familiar with. Um, and now some Kabbalists say that there are five grades, but the Zohar says there's three, which is the three grades are the Nefesh, the Ruach, and the Neshama, which are included within men. Now, for those who don't know what those are, each of these are things that translate to soul within that of the Bible. Um, these three grades, the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama are included within men to attain them by serving their master. Thus, first, man has a Nefesh which, um, with which to be corrected. But when he is intent on purification through his grade, man is corrected and crowned with a ruach, the holy grade that dwells in on the nefesh, which is the, uh, with which the deserving man is adorned. Now, the thing is, the guys have, he have heard uh, people go and say, well, what is the deal? Um, does this, what happens to the soul when we die? Does it over here it says it sleeps, over here it says that it passes away, and over here it says it goes to Hashem. And these are all concepts that uh, deal with the different levels of the soul. Um, some Kabbalists go and cite two others, and I forget what the other two are called in all honesty. But um, the two prevailing things are the three or the five. Three are only three are mentioned within that of the Bible, though. But it's a very interesting um, concept that different variations or different uh, functions of different parts of the soul function for different reasons. Any insight there? Uh, yeah, I can, I can see the uh, see what it's talking about. You know the. The Neshama would basically be your, uh, you know, I've read a little bit of the Zohar, kind of your husk, so to speak. And like, the, you know, once you shed that and start to come into the knowledge of, of Hashem, that uh, you get the Ruach. And then, of course, the Ruach brings forth more, uh, more of his attributes, I believe, you know, more of the, the divine soul, so to speak, that is in us and we're supposed to uh, emanate yeah the neshama is the, the the highest level then we have the ruach underneath it and then the the nefesh now the thing that's interesting is that when we look at the hebrew of the of of the torah and the ketuvim and the nevi'im one of the things that we see is that whenever it refers to people a great a, a great majority of the time it doesn't uh, you know have have the word for person in fact in, instead it says nefeshot so a person is defined and so th that should really show us something that a person is not defined by their physical essence but rather of that level of the soul that make up their personality and all those things that that what is inside of you is the real person not the outer I always found that to be really, really neat and something that'll, uh, that, you know, uh, a lot of people that really don't see within that of the Bible, which I think is a vastly important idea. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys got anything else to add here before it is that we close out? Uh, I believe uh, 
that's about it for me. <laughs> Appreciate the teaching this evening. Yeah, definitely. Always a pleasure. Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, I'm glad you guys you guys uh, made it. You guys always have some great stuff that get gets me thinking all the time, and I love that. Yeah, same here. That's uh, that's why I love this uh, this teaching and the teachings you put forth. Uh, of course, Hashem working through you uh, helps me to uh, you know reach farther and deeper and and think of things that uh, most people can't make me think, so to speak. You know. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm glad that I can help in some way. Well, uh, guys, I'm going to wish you guys a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos to you. Absolutely. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Next week. All right. Shalom, Bracha. Shalom. Shalom. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewAndAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.